You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Well, good morning. How is everyone doing? Are we awake? Are we alive this morning? No. That was a resounding no. Are we awake? Are we alive this morning? Awesome. Man, I am so excited to be back with you guys. It's been a few weeks since I've been at New Life. I've been on a study break through a few weeks of of July. And man, it was such a refreshing, energizing time just with God and then also with my family as well. And so I'm pumped to be back. I'm, I'm pumped that we have the holy horse trough out here. We get to baptize some people today. We were a little bit nervous about thunderstorms because lightning and a metal horse tank probably don't mix very well, but that's coming later. So I am excited. And we're continuing our series today called Soul Work, caring for the most important part of you. And every single week during the series, we've been looking at different practices, different disciplines that we can actually put into practice in our lives that allow us to become more like Jesus, to become people of stability in a fragile and fractured world, to become people of love in a world of hostility. And so today, I believe, is one of the most important disciplines that we could possibly talk about. In fact, what we're talking about today is something I am so passionate about our church being and becoming. In fact, I believe the discipline that we are talking about today is such a strength of our church, and I want to see us continue growing in this area. And so I want to begin by telling you a story, and this is a once upon a time story. There was a king in a kingdom, and this king had all of his loyal subjects, and and one of his subjects was a farmer. And this farmer liked farming carrots. And so one day he was harvesting his carrots and he was picking them out of the ground. And he picked the biggest, most beautiful carrot he had ever seen. I mean, this thing was beautiful and sweet and juicy and and delicious looking. And so what he decided to do is he said, you know what? I love my king. So I'm going to take this carrot and offer it to my king as a gift, as an act of love. And so this farmer brings this carrot to his king and he presents it to the king in pride, in love for his king. And the king takes it and is extremely grateful. And then the farmer walks out and on his way out, the king stops him. And he says, farmer, (laughs) he probably had a name, I don't know. He says, farmer, I love this carrot and I love your heart for me. I would love to bless you with abundant land so that you can continue growing and harvesting and blessing this kingdom. I would love to bless you with this. Now, there was a smart nobleman in the court, a smart guy watching this all unfold, and he thought to himself, if that is what the king gives in exchange for a carrot, I can only imagine what this king is going to give me in exchange for a horse. And so the nobleman goes home, and he finds his best horse, his best stallion, and he brings it into the king's court and he offers it to the king. And the king says, wow, this is a, a beautiful horse. Thank you so much. And then the nobleman turns on his way, looking very upset, very frustrated because the king did not stop him and offer him a field like he offered the farmer. And the king stopped the nobleman and he said, you're wondering 
why I didn't give you land like I gave that farmer, aren't you? And the nobleman was like, yeah, I am. And the king goes, here's the difference between the two of you. He said, the farmer gave me a carrot, but you, nobleman, gave yourself a horse. You see the difference? See, on one hand, the farmer is offering this act of incredible love for this king. And on the other hand, the posture of the nobleman is one of just self-service, self-elevation. In fact, this nobleman suffers from a condition that I think a lot of us, if not all of us, suffer from in one form or another. It's a condition that theologians call incurvatus ense. It's a Latin phrase, incurvatus ense. And that phrase simply means curved in on yourself. Curved in on yourself. And, and to be honest, like all of us suffer from incurvatus ense. I do. I imagine there's moments in your life where you suffer from this as well. Incurvatus in say is when you give something to somebody and you expect something in return because we are all curved in on ourselves. Incurvatus in say is when we love others but wonder what's in it for us. That's incurvatus in say. Incurvatus in say is when I give to others but wonder what I'll respect ba expect back when I am an empty vessel pouring myself out for other people but I need the affirmation and the approval of other people to feel good about myself. Every single one of us in one way or another are curved in on ourselves. Incurvatus in say. Heck, my kids suffer from this disease, this condition as well, incurvatus in say. My, my two little girls, they both love to sing. And as much as they love to sing, they both love to be the center of the spotlight. And so these girls will fight over who gets this imaginary microphone in this imaginary spotlight. And they'll sing their favorite Alicia Keys song, this girl is on fire, right? She's walking, you know, you know why I don't sing with them. And then my little boy will come and they'll be, the girls will be pushing each other. And my little boy, Theo, he's three, he'll come and he'll just break up the fight and he'll be in his fireman outfit, and he'll be like, this boy has some water to put out your fire, right? Like, in Curvatus and Say, we're all, in one way or another, curved in on ourselves. Sin is a power that curves us in on ourselves. And yet Jesus, when he is asked, to summarize 615 laws and commandments and statutes from God, when he is asked to say what are the most important commandments, what is the most important commandment, he narrows 615 down to two. And the two commandments are love God and love people. Every other thing that God has ever said hangs on those two things, love God and love people. In other words, what Jesus is saying is don't curve yourself inward, rather extend yourself outward for the sake and the benefit of others. And so the question I want to ask as we begin today is what is the curve of your life? What is the curve of your life? Is the curve of your life one that's curved in on itself or is it one that is extended in love and service towards other people? This is a discipline, like, like learning how to extend our lives outward for the sake of other people is a discipline that I believe if we put into practice will change this community and ultimately change the world. You see, we live in a world that is desperately curving in on itself 
And what a different message it speaks when there is a church, a community of Jesus people, willing to say, we don't curve in on ourselves. No, rather, we extend ourselves outward for the sake of other people. And this is the example of Jesus. Like for Jesus, love and service are so intertwined, so overlapped that for Jesus, love is extending yourself outward in service for other people. Like if you want a definition of love, it's that. It's extending yourself outward in service of other people. And so what I want to do today as we're here in the park, surrounded by our neighbors, surrounded by our community, what I want to do this morning is look at one of the most subversive, countercultural stories from Jesus' life where he puts this into practice in a way that is borderline, not borderline, it's completely offensive. It is completely unexpected. And I think as we look at this, you'll see yourself in this powerful story because Jesus did not live within curvitus in say, he lived the opposite. His life extended out for the sake of the world. So John 13 is where we're going to be at in, in the Bible today. So if you have a Bible, open it with me. John chapter 13, uh, verse 1. And if you need to pull out your phone, you can do that as well. John 13, chapter 1, or verse 1. And we're going to be reading um, here this morning. This is what it says. (laughs) I love the wind. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, who, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, I want to pause there for a minute and set the scene. You see, crucifixion, the cross, is in front of Jesus, and he is having this last supper with his disciples. He's having this last supper with the people who are closest to him. They're celebrating Passover together as a community, which was the most important Jewish holiday that they celebrated, the most important Jewish festival, and they're celebrating this together. And look at what it says as they are eating, as they are getting ready to dine at this meal, Jesus' posture His mind, his heart was not curved in on himself, but rather extended out for the sake of the world. Jesus had the cross in his mind when he was dining with his disciples this last time. And not only that, but it says this in the text that he loved his own to the fullest, to the extent of his love, to the extent of love, he loved them to the fullest extent. In other words, there was nothing that love could do that Jesus was not now doing in this moment. Nothing. He loved them to the end, the fullest extent. And then it goes on. And John John introduces kind of a pretty weird twist in the story in verse 2. He says this, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taken a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, the best word that I can think of when I read this scene or see this scene is the word awkward. 
this would have been really awkward. You see, because to be a disciple in this Jewish culture, to be, to be a, a Jewish person living and being hosted by a host, it was expected that somebody as an act of hospitality would come wash your feet. Like that was not uncommon. That was normal. Like it was a customary thing as a good host to have your guests' feet washed. But the, the normal person who would come and wash the feet of the people dining would be either a slave in the house or the wife of the host or, or somebody like that. It would have been somebody in that culture of low status. And yet in this moment, it's not the slave of the house. It's not the wife of the host. It's the rabbi. It's the guest of honor. It's arguably the most important person at the table who begins taking off his outer garments and going to his disciples' feet to wash them. Feet were offensive in this culture. Heck, feet still are offensive in our culture, okay? They're, they're a little bit offensive, right? They're, they're gross. They're not pleasant things. Right? And, and even in Jewish culture, like, I've heard it was said before that it's like, it's the equivalent of flipping someone the bird to show them the bottom of your feet in a Jewish culture like this. Like, that's how offensive this act is. For Jesus to get on the ground at the level of dirt and feces and fungus and ingrown toenails and all of the gross stuff that feet bring, and he takes on the position of slave of wife of the host. Do you see in this moment that he is both elevating slaves and women at the same time by taking on this position? Like he's saying, this is my position. This is the position I take with you. And what's ironic is that in this story, the other gospels tell us that the disciples at this dinner began fighting amongst themselves began, like my kids, pushing each other out of the way for the imaginary spotlight to sing their Alicia Keys solo. The disciples began fighting with each other in this moment about who was the greatest, who was the best, who was on top, who was going to be the one that would make a name for themselves. And I imagine as they are bickering and as they are fighting like little children, Jesus quietly gets up. He takes off his outer garments and takes on the position of the slave. Why? Because Jesus fundamentally redefines what it means to be great in every sense of the word. He redefines greatness in this moment. And so you can imagine the mix of shock and horror and disgust and angst when the guest of honor, the teacher, the highest one there, is the one who takes on the lowest position to wash feet. Why? Because for Jesus, love always extends itself outward in service of other people. The posture of Jesus' life is not one curved inward. It is extended outward towards others. Jesus literally had to extend himself in an uncomfortable posture to take on this position. Extended, uncomfortable, on the ground, in the dirt, washing his disciples' feet. But then you read on. And there's one guy's reaction to this that I think makes a lot of sense. And, and I think a lot of us maybe resonate with his reaction more than we might think. Reading on in verse 6 of this chapter here. This is what it says. It says, he came to Simon Peter. And if you know anything about Peter, he's always a loudmouth. So he came to Simon Peter. 
who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Other translations say you have no part of me. Like Peter, if you do not allow me, if you do not sit yourself in the foot washing stool and allow me to serve you, to wash your feet, you have no part in me. Have you ever wondered why, like if you've heard this story before, Peter would be so resistant to the idea of Jesus washing his feet? Like on one hand, there's the cultural piece, right? Where this was offensive. This was kind of a flipping of the order of things. That's, that's just one piece. But have you ever wondered what maybe was going on in Peter's mind in this moment as he sees Jesus kneel down in front of him, ready to wash his feet? Like if it's me, I think in some ways there's a mix of maybe some shame in there. Maybe some false humility at the same time. Maybe some pride. I mean, shame, pride, false humility, those are all different ways in which we curve in on ourselves. Those are all different ways in which we obsess over our own desires and needs and wants and the way we feel. And it's interesting to me that in this passage, in this moment, John chooses to contrast Jesus with both Peter and Judas. Jesus, the portrayal of self-sacrificing love, poured out for the world, and Judas and Peter, the betrayal of love that would happen in just a few short hours. I mean, what a contrast. And yet Jesus says to Peter, he says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. Why, why would Jesus say this to Peter? Why would Jesus tell Peter, you have no part in me unless you let me dishonor myself to wash your feet? Why did Jesus say this? Because he was pointing Peter to the cross that was ahead. In other words, if you don't allow me to serve you in this way, to dishonor myself in this way, then how will you possibly ever allow me to die on a cross, a greater position of dishonor, and dishonor myself to serve you in that way? See, Jesus in this moment, he's pointing us forward to his cross. Some of you may have seen this, this artwork on, on social media that's been floating around. I know a lot of you have because a, a lot of you have shared it. I've shared it as well, but it's, it's a collection of artwork called Salt and Gold Collection. How many of us have seen that or seen the, the foot washing art recently shared all over social media? A few of us. So basically what this picture is, is there's this artist who is depicting Jesus washing the feet of all kinds of different types of people, if you will. And so the, the artist is kind of going after these very um, subversive images of Jesus washing the feet of different people. And it is a beautiful, beautiful series of art. In one piece, she has Jesus washing the feet of an addict, syringes and empty beer bottles strewn around him. In another image, she depicts Jesus washing the feet of, of a single mom with kids crawling all over her shoulders. In another image, she is Jesus washing the feet of a, of a man in an orange jumpsuit, a, a prisoner, a felon. In another image, she depicts Jesus washing the feet of an exhausted and worn out police officer. 
In another image, she has Jesus washing the feet of a nurse who is just exhausted, being run every shift to the absolute brink. In another image, she has Jesus washing the feet of Joe Biden. And Jesus in another one washing the feet of Donald Trump. And I get it. It's subversive. And and we like the kind of stuff that that arises in us to see it. But you know who I think is the single hardest person for us to see sitting in that chair whose feet are being washed by Jesus? Who is the hardest person to see in that chair? It's ourselves. Isn't it? Like in a lot of ways, we are all Peter sitting in that chair with Jesus kneeling down, getting ready to serve us, to wash our feet. Like that's borderline offensive. That almost feels irreverent to have the Savior of the world kneeling to wash your feet. And yet Jesus is saying, if you do not allow me to do this for you, you have no part of me. Like, if you do not allow me to love you and serve you in a way that dishonors and undignifies myself, you'll never be able to understand what love truly is. You'll never be able to extend that to other people. You'll never, you'll always have this incurvitus in se posture and approach to the world where it's just what's in it for me. Like, if if I scratch your back, you scratch mine. And, And Jesus is like, no, that's not the way things work in my kingdom. In fact, he in this moment, says to his disciples, he says, you can look at all of the leaders of the world. You can look at the Gentiles and the way they do things. And you can look at the way they lord power over each other and pursue greatness in a different way. And then Jesus says one of the most powerful statements that I think he ever says. He says, not so with you. Because I have redefined what it means to be great. And if you want to be great in my story, in my kingdom, It involves getting yourself into the dirt and washing feet. Why? Because for Jesus, love always extends itself outward in service of other people. Some of you have maybe been in church for a long time and and you've never learned to let Jesus actually love you. Like you've never invited him to that place where you are sitting in the stool and he is undoing your shoes and your sandals to wash your feet. And I think this is the biggest barrier to genuine love and service of other people is not first allowing Jesus to extend love to you. Not first allowing Jesus to sit at your feet and, and wash your feet. And so as a result, your Bible stays closed your mind stays distracted, your, your prayer life is non-existent, you, you mentally check out even when you hear that we're talking about spiritual disciplines because immediately your mind just goes to a religious to-do list of like having to get everything right and everything perfect. And, and I, what I want you to hear this morning is that all of the stuff that we're talking about this summer is not just to have a checklist, right? We're not talking about confession or prayer, or meditation, or solitude, just for the sake of having this religious checklist to make sure we check all the boxes and make ourselves worthy to wash, to be washed at Jesus, to be washed by him. Now, the reason that we are going through this series is because we are learning what it means in our lives and the day-to-day stuff of our lives to let Jesus love us, to let Jesus be present with us to let Jesus go to work with us, to let Jesus be present with us in our biggest mistakes and greatest moments of failure. You see, Jesus washed the feet of Peter, a man who would deny ever knowing him just a few hours later. 
my iPad just died because it's too hot. But I came prepared today, so I got it on my phone. Uh, so Jesus washed the feet of a man who would deny ever knowing him. He washed the feet of Judas, a guy who would betray him for some money. He washed the feet of a political extremist named Simon who wanted to violently overthrow his government. He washed the feet of a racist. He washed the feet of an exploitive tax collector. So I want to ask you here today, this morning, what is stopping you from letting God love you? Like, What's that thing in your life that is stopping you from letting God love you? See, for Jesus... Love always extends itself outward in service of other people. That is love. See, so often when, when we think Jesus doesn't want anything to do with us, we think he's, he's too distant or too far away. And I'm here to tell you, no, he's, he's actually too close for some of you to even see him there. Or some of us think Jesus is too high or too lofty or too above us. And no, Jesus is actually too low for you to see him sometimes because that's the posture he takes one of service one that says i am going to come to your feet with all of your junk and all of the gross fungus that is growing on them <laughs> and all of the the grossness and the stench and the smell and i'm going to wash those feet not some cleaned up version of your feet that you kind of wash before you go see him. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wash the feet of those who have been traveling day in and day out in the dust and the feces and the dirt of this world. That's the posture of Jesus. That's the posture of service. And what happens when we begin to understand this, what happens when we begin to understand how deeply Jesus loves us, how deeply Jesus came to serve us, it actually frees us to move out into this world from a place of love and stability and belonging. It allows us to go to some of the more hostile places and not be offended at every single turn or every single slight or perceived slight because we operate from a place where we understand how deeply loved we are. We operate from a place where we understand that the role of confessing our sins, of repenting of them, doesn't come from a place of shame or self-loathing or self-disgust, which is all just another form of incurvitus and say, no, confession and repentance comes from a place of knowing Jesus washed my feet. He served me in that way. He loved me in that way. And so then he takes this, and he doesn't stop there. He actually gives his disciples a command. He gives his disciples something to do with this. He doesn't just say, okay, I'm going to wash your feet, and everything's good, and let's go on our merry way. No, no, watch what happens next. It says this in verse 12 of John 13. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Do you get it? Do you understand the extent of this love? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash the feet of one another. 
For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you, do, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. For Jesus, love always extends itself outward in service of other people. He goes on in a few verses later to say, As I have loved you, so also love one another. And you can almost ex- exchange the word service in there. As I have served you, so also go extend your, yourself in service of one another. This is the power of the way of Jesus. This is the power of the cross. This is the way of following Jesus, of of a lifestyle, of learning that first I receive God's love. First I understand that it is me who sits in Jesus' foot washing chair. And as a result of that, I can take what is done for me. I can take what is transformed inside of me as a result of that and go extend that to my enemies. Go extend that to the coworker I don't like or the, the spouse that betrayed my trust or the child that gets on my every last nerve, when I first and foremost see myself in that chair with Jesus washing my feet, I begin to extend myself out for the sake of other people. Now, I uh, just going to my life here for, for a moment. I, uh, I've struggled for most of my life with like pretty bad back posture. Like it's just been a thing. Even since I was a kid, my mom would always say like, you need to stand up straight. Like you need to stop hunching yourself over. And this is just something that like I've always struggle with. And so I've, I've actually seen chiropractors about it to try to figure out like what, what to do for this posture, right? Like my body is literally in curvatus and say it, it curves in on itself. And uh, one of the things that chiropractors will have you do if, if you have this issue is you need to actually strengthen some of the muscles that are up here to, to kind of fix that. And so there's different exercises and different stretches that you can do to begin strengthening your back and kind of open it up and extend it out. And so some of them look like this. I'm going to make a of myself here, but that's okay. Some look like this. Some look like stretching out like this. And the whole idea there is that in order to extend and, and strengthen those back muscles, you actually have to put this exercise into practice. Like in order to strengthen and not have a posture that curves in on itself, you have to put into practice an exercise, a stretch, if you will, that allows you to be opened up and extended out. And I would argue the same is true with following Jesus. That if you want to learn, if you want to learn how to extend yourself out for the sake of others, it begins with putting into practice the same thing that Jesus has practiced towards you. It begins with receiving that love from Jesus and then extending it out towards the sake of others. And I think there's some irony that the very posture of the cross itself is one of extension. You see, Jesus' body was literally, not metaphorically, not figuratively, his body was literally broken and stretched out on a cross as a display of the ultimate act of love. Because for Jesus, love always extends itself out in service of other people. It is a love that cultivates humility in us when we want to be prideful. It's a love that cultivates self-sacrifice towards other people. Like, like if you want to know why we're, we're so obsessed with serving here at this church just in general, it's, it's not because we care 
about filling spots. In fact, if, if all we do is just kind of fill spots to, to serve each other, and we haven't first understood that we sit at Jesus' foot washing stool, if we haven't first understood that we love because he has first loved us deeply and humbly, then service at best just becomes a distraction. But what I'm here to tell you is that it's sitting here in this place, Jesus getting ready to wash our feet, where humility has the potential to emerge. Where we actually don't have to prove anything or cover up anything or wash our feet to go to him first. Like it's at this place of allowing Jesus to wash our feet where we surrender our pride and our pretense and our desire to be impressive to the world. You don't have to impress people. Jesus never calls us to impress people. He calls us to self-sacrificially serve and love people, to pour ourselves out just like he has done. And so maybe you're here this morning and you've never invited God to actually love you. Maybe you've heard the Jesus story a million different times in a million different ways, but you've never actually placed yourself at the seat of Jesus' foot washing stool. You've never seen yourself there. The invitation for you this morning is this. Will you let God love you? Like, will you let him love you? How do we do this? Here's how we do this. We begin by getting ourselves really vulnerable and saying, Jesus, this is who I am. This is the junk that I bring into this place with me. This is the past that I don't want anybody to know about. This is the present that I try to keep hidden and covered up. Jesus, this is the fungus I bring on my feet to you. This is the ingrown toenail and the stench that I bring to you, Jesus. Do with it what you will. It's in that place, that vulnerable, open, exposed place where Jesus begins to do his work to extend ourselves outward towards the, the world. So not only that, it, it begins with vulnerability and confession and repentance of our sins and bringing those things to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I cannot solve these on my own. Do only what you will with them. But then the other side of this is it actually requires us to look around and see the other offensive feet that Jesus is washing around us. To say, Jesus, you actually washed the feet of my enemies. You washed the feet of my neighbors. You washed the feet of the people that I go to church with that maybe I butt heads with regularly. You wash their feet just like you wash mine. And when you actually begin to look around and see who else's feet Jesus is at work washing, that changes something in you that opens something up in you, that extends something out in you to offer to other people around you. We love because we have first been loved and we share that with the world. And so maybe you're here this morning and you've never received God's love before. You've never received it. You've never internalized it. You've never personalized it for you. Can I offer you an invitation this morning? The invitation is this, why not today? Like why not today surrender that area of pride in your life that you're holding on to? Why not today surrender the posture of incurvitus and say that we all walk around with? Why not today? 
That doesn't mean that you, you surrender that today and then you walk away a perfect person. That's No, that, that's part of the role of the church is we actually we help each other stumble towards Jesus in our mess, with our dirty feet, with all of our junk. We, we help each other in that. We serve each other in that. Do we always get it right? <laughs> no, not even close. But that's the beauty of the gospel is that when we mess it up, we're there because we know we're heading in the same direction. We're heading towards the same Jesus, and we are walking together doing it. And so what Jesus invites us to do is receive my love and then extend that to one another over and over and over again. And so we're going to be closing the service today with an invitation to you. And we have six people who have signed up to get baptized ahead of time, but if you're here and maybe you're thinking to yourself, like, today is, today is the day I want to receive God's love. Today is the day I want to surrender my life to him, surrender my pride, surrender my false humility, surrender my shame. Like, if that's you here today and you want to come up and get baptized, we'll do it. No questions asked. Like, the only prerequisite for getting into this tank and bap- getting baptized is confessing Jesus as Lord and admitting that I don't have the power on my own. That's it. We don't baptize perfect people here. Like if that was our, our requirement, none of us, myself included, would ever get in that tank because we all have incurvitus and say in one way or another. But Jesus offers us freedom from that. And so if that's you, like if you weren't planning on it and you want to get baptized here this morning, come on up and we will be happy to do that for you on the spot. I know it's hot. Don't get baptized just because you want to cool down. That would be the wrong reason to do it. But if you, if you want to get baptized, I would love to offer that for you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to offer up a prayer for all of us. And uh, if you want to receive God's love today, like if you want to put your faith and your trust in the Jesus who came to serve and love the world, to extend himself out for the sake of love, I want to invite you to pray this alongside me silently in your heart. And then we'll invite you to come up and get baptized afterwards. So let's pray together. Father, We thank you that you came to this earth and you made yourself nothing. You made yourself the position of a slave, the position of a servant. That you took a towel and you washed Peter's feet and you washed Judas's feet and you washed Simon's feet and and Matthew's feet. And and God, we just, we thank you that you are the type of God who is not pushed away by our mess. That you actually draw near to those who are messy. That you draw near to those who are sinful and broken and hurting. And Jesus, it's in that act of experiencing that love that I want to offer my own pride. My own false humility. And my own shame to you here this morning. Jesus, I invite you to take it, to transform it, to move into it. Jesus, I want to receive the love that caused you to extend yourself, not just in a posture of washing feet, but in a posture of hanging on a cross. And so, Jesus, I believe that that wasn't just for some better version of me, but that was for me where I am today. Jesus, I believe that that is that you hung on a cross for my, my past, my present, and my future, Lord. And I believe you were raised from the dead, and I want to give my life over to you.
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen.